of the 20th century in the United States of America, hundreds and hundreds of teenage boys and girls are becoming hopeless dope addicts every year. It's fantastic. fantastic. She called 911 because I literally didn't know what was happening. And I called my parents who live like 30 minutes away and they came because I was like convinced I was never gonna see them again. And the emergency people came and they took all my vitals and they were like, it's anxiety. And I was like, no, I don't have anxiety. Like I'm a normie. And I just remember having a thought of like, I don't wanna live if this is how it's gonna be. And like, I'm gonna keep having these panic attacks everywhere I go. Welcome to the Pretty Girl Pill Club. This is a podcast where a couple of unqualified idiots on the internet with fucked up brain chemistry talk about our fucked up brain chemistry, among other things. I'm Sophie and I'm joined by my co-host Ronnie. This is he joining. That was more aggressive than usual. <laughs> I wanted to switch it up on people. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. And uh, today we're joined by Christina of the Instagram account, Better Self, Better World. Thanks for coming on the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. We're glad to have you. So I guess to start, tell us about your Instagram and what it is, why you started it. Sure. Because that's how we found you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so my name's Christina. I'm 25. I live in Atlanta um, and I grew up here. I started the Instagram Better Self, Better World because I am a self-proclaimed self-help junkie. I am a Virgo, so I'm like always trying to be my best self yeah. and I'm never satisfied. So um, I've always been into that explains a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> I I've always been into self help books and I've always wanted to start an Instagram. Um, so on the Instagram account, we talk about self help, self care, wellness, and we also talk about mental health. I was diagnosed with panic disorder in March of this year. And so that was kind of a catalyst for starting it. Um, so we talk about that as well. That was going to be my next question because you saying you're a Virgo explains everything. Yeah, uh, yeah that's Ronnie. all the questions. That's a lot of questions. <laughs> that, you that's all, yeah, we, we can wrap it up there. Yeah. Uh, no, but um, Ronnie's a Pisces and I'm an Aquarius. So we're both really messy. Yeah, I'm the opposite. <laughs> yeah, we're both hot messes and we've decided to just, you know, try to try to, you know, capitalize on yeah. that. We're a doing a bit. good job. <laughs> Well, I, I hope so. This will be like very good energy for us, I think, just moving forward for this episode. <laughs> exactly. We need somebody to balance us out because right. I'm I'm too much. Ronnie is just a Pisces. You know, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know a lot about the other signs. Like, I'm not like super into that, but I do know that I'm very much a Virgo from everything I read. I'm like, yeah, that's me. And I, the only other sign yeah. I really know about is like Sagittarius's because I tend to be friends with Sagittarius's, but... I'm not, I don't yeah. really know like the intricacies of all that, but I just know I'm Virgo AF. Yeah. <laughs> I guess all you need to know is that like Ronnie has a lot of feelings and I'm an alien in a human suit. So oh, okay. I think that sums it up. Like that's what Great. I've been told. That's it perfectly. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. It. How would you describe what panic disorder is? And also how is it different from anxiety disorder? Because Ronnie has, you have generalized anxiety, right, mm -hmm. Ronnie? Yeah. Yep, that's the one. So from my understanding, um, and I will say before I was diagnosed with panic disorder and before I had a panic attack for the first time, I, I thought I was what you guys call a normie. Um, <laughs> Get us. 
that was gonna come back to bite us up at some point yeah. I'm glad I'm, okay <laughs> I, I would have considered myself a normie but now looking back and now I'm not too sure now that I I am on medication and stuff I'm like mm, I don't think I was but anyways I thought I thought that I didn't really deal with any kind of anxiety or, or depression yeah um so I was diagnosed with panic disorder and my understanding of the difference is that anxiety attacks and well anxiety attacks and panic attacks tend to be used interchangeably like someone be like Mm -hmm. oh I'm having panic attack but from what I've read panic attacks tend to be a little bit more sudden and quicker and anxiety attacks tend to be more gradual and long they build yeah more Ronnie you can speak to this if you agree or not but um I think with the symptoms of a panic attack and anxiety attack can be different like I know with panic you oftentimes feel like you're gonna die and have a heart attack and it can feel really scary I mean obviously anxiety attacks are not fun either but they're I think they're a little bit more intense as in like the span of time that they last I think a big thing with panic is that once you have your first panic attack a, a big part of that is just the fear of having another one so that can cause anxiety throughout your day um just yeah. worrying about it so um they kind, I mean you can have anxiety obviously with panic disorder they're they're linked um but panic disorder is just a little group within anxiety um, yeah. 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 I'm trying to synthesize that in my mind or not trying to, because you explained it very well. So I can synthesize anything. Um, the difference, at least for me as somebody who has anxiety attacks is like, I guess I never, I'm never always like, Ooh, I'm going to have like, I'm going to have one. I'm going to have one. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like happens. And then when it happens, it's like, I feel it physically. Some people say they feel it like in their stomachs. Right. Um, I feel mine in like my left shoulder. I probably spoke mm. to that. And it lasts for like a, you know, a bit. And then it's also a mental thing too. But I think, yeah, the panic, the panic attack seems definitely separate. Yeah. And like more like right at that moment, because you said you feel like you want to die. And sometimes anxiety attacks aren't really like that. You're just more like afraid for your life a little bit, you know, but you're not like. I mean, yeah, I wasn't afraid. I was, I didn't want to die, but I felt like I was going to die. So Right. Yeah. yeah. The first time I had one, I my I was with my roommate and she called nine one one because I literally didn't know what was happening. And I called my parents who live like thirty minutes away and they came because I was like convinced I was never gonna see them again. So that was really scary. And the emergency people came and they took all my um vitals, vitals and they were like, It's anxiety and I was like, No, I don't have anxiety. Like I'm a normie, and <laughs> I knew that would come yeah, back to bite yeah. us someday. Oh my god! No, I like it. It's a good way to explain like people who don't who have normal serotonin levels. Like that's what they are. Is like what is that like? Um, I guess neurotypical is like the proper right, term, the but like that's a lot of syllables. <laughs> exactly, and like no one's used the term normie unironically since like the '90s, and I'm just like yeah. really trying to bring it back because I think it's a really funny word, but. Yeah, that's interesting. I never knew the distinction and I've only had a handful of now after hearing that I realized those were definitely panic attacks, mm-hmm. not anxiety attacks based on your description because full on like thought I was going to die thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah. Um, my mother actually has panic disorder, oh, cool. but I never but she never like described it to me. Mm-hmm. I just thought that she was like dying all the time. Like I didn't know what was happening. Um, and I didn't understand it until I had one because no one, I had never heard anybody describe it as feeling like a heart attack 
because for some reason, even if you've never had a heart attack, you know when something feels like a heart attack. And like the first one I had lasted for like 12 hours because I didn't know what was going on. And I was actually like, Ronnie and I live in LA. Mm -hmm. And so I was driving down from LA to San Diego that day to go to my then boyfriend's parents' house. And I was like, I can't, like, I don't want to draw attention to myself. Like, I want them to talk to me as little as possible. Like, I want, you know, so I didn't want to, like, draw attention to myself by saying that I think I'm dying. Right. So I just thought that I was having a heart attack for 12 (laughs) hours. And I was like, I might die. Like, this is fine. later. Like, we'll figure it out later. (laughs) But, like, genuinely, everything, like, definitely, like, my heart felt like it was beating out of my chest. Like, I, my, is it your right or your left arm? I don't, I don't remember which one that, like, gets all Mm -hmm. weird when you're having a heart attack. It was, like, that, the whole thing. But the thing is, like, you're not rational in that moment. So I wasn't being, like, I thought I was going to die, but I was just so scared of, like, bringing attention to myself. I was like, it's fine. I'm just going to drop dead. Or I was like, well, if I pass out, then somebody will do something and I won't have to say anything, which is just, like, a bizarre mindset to have. (laughs) That's braver than me. When I first had it, I, it was like, my heart was beating really fast, but I was having to I was breathing really slow. That's how it felt. Yeah, it's hard to catch. It's really hard to breathe. It's like your breaths are really shallow. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my legs started twitching. Like this, this this only happened the first time, but my legs were like shaking uncontrollably. And it's just wild to think like my, that's my like mental health is like causing that, you know? It's so wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's intense. So luckily, you know, things ended up being fine like they I mean the EMTs were like it's just anxiety and one one characteristic of people with panic disorder is we tend to well kind of have agoraphobia where we become afraid of having panic attacks in public so we might avoid going certain places like I remember my roommate got tickets to this wine festival and I was just like so nervous about going and so nervous about drinking because I was like, what if I have a panic attack while I've been drinking? And yeah. I ended up going and just pushing through it. Like, and I was had a miserable time basically, but I'm glad I went yeah. and just pushed through it. Um, but we another um, characteristic is that we kind of become hypochondriacs to where yeah. I was like, this is not anxiety because I've never had anxiety. So how can this yeah. be anxiety? And you're in like the denial stage. Mm-hmm. So I was just like yeah. Googling like every little thing that it could be. I got my thyroid checked. I was like, maybe it's my thyroid. I like looked into anything else it could have been. And that is a characteristic of people with panic disorder. Like they think it's everything but panic. And yeah. it was nice getting that diagnosis and knowing like, oh, like everyone does this when they have it. <laughs> What's weird for me is that I don't really know it triggered the panic. Um, I still don't really know. And so neither do I actually. Right. So I think it can really snowball from just life events going on. Like for me, I, I'll just give you a summary of that week. (laughs) So yeah, go for it. I had come back from London because I went to London for New Year's. So I had jet lag. Because this happened, like, I think two days after I returned. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a cold. I'm convinced I had coronavirus because I couldn't smell or taste anything. I was, like, patient zero. (laughs) And then I had an ear infection. So I was on medication for the cold slash upper respiratory infection I was told I had. An ear infection. 
I have asthma. So I was like on medicine for asthma. I had the jet lag. I had only gotten like two hours of sleep before because of my ear infection. So I had all that fun stuff going on. And then like prior to that, in like November and December, I'd kind of gone through something traumatic as well. So and like not really told a lot of people about it. So it was just like, I think a snowball effect of all of that combined. Um, We really do think that it was maybe the antibiotics I was on that caused side effects that felt like a panic attack and it kind of just initiated one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we got with that, but I still don't fully know because I was having issues breathing when I had the first one. A lot of times my breathing was what triggered it in the future. Mm -hmm. And since I have asthma and my breathing's like always crappy, (laughs) that can make things kind of complicated. And so Anytime my breathing was off by any little bit, you know, I was like obsessing over, am I going to have another one of these? Yeah. So even with my like limited experience with panic attacks, they were, I mean, it was all in a very quick succession and it was just like a short phase. Mm-hmm. And the first one, yeah, no idea what caused it. Part of it was like before I drove down to San Diego to, um, to go hang out with my then boyfriend's parents. I was in the library at my school, like writing a term paper, and my doctor had just upped my dose of Adderall because I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And usually, like I, I would take my Adderall and chug a cold brew, and like oh, nothing yeah. would happen. And so, like, I like because I, I mean, Ronnie and I have talked about this extensively. Like, I can like chug a Red Bull, take my Adderall, still take a midday nap, and wow. like I'm not even get everything done. <laughs> I know, like. I, well, maybe not because like it would be nice if like Adderall made me like get shit done like it yeah. does for other people, but um, it does, but it has its limits. But I think it was like that and like, so what you were saying about your breathing trigger it, triggered it, I think it was like I could feel my heartbeat mm-hmm. like really hard and it was probably because the higher dose of Adderall and the cold brew mm-hmm. and like me not being used to that higher dose and I was you know, I was also writing a term paper that I was really stressed about. And I was on like a short timeline because I had to drive to San Diego that yeah. day. And, and that was all stressful. And then I could feel my heartbeat, which is like always a weird thing mm-hmm. when you can feel your own heartbeat. And then every panic attack I had after that, it was triggered by me being able to feel my heartbeat. Like if I and I was working at a coffee shop at the time. So like if I had to uh, taste test too many espressos in a row, like I would feel my heartbeat and then I'd freak out thinking that I was going to have a panic attack again. Because like you said, it's the fear of having another one mm-hmm. that is scarier than than anything else. Yeah. And yeah, I was like terrified of that. And two episodes back with Millennial Mental Health mm-hmm. Channel, I talked about getting a prescription for, can't remember the name of the medication again, Boost Bar. Yeah. That's what it was. And then I just like had it in my bag and then I never had to take it. Like I just knew that like if something happens, I'm just going to take this pill and then it'll knock me out and then everything will be fine. And that just like fixed it for me and I haven't had one since then. Mm -hmm. So when exactly did you get like an official diagnosis that you have panic disorder? Mm -hmm. So that's funny that that you got that and just had it on hand because... My therapist at the time, who was not a psychiatrist, it was just a suggestion, but she kind of recommended a similar thing. Um, So when I first had the panic attacks, I was like, I can just get through this on my own. (laughs) 
like it's fine people love to think that yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then I kept having them and I was like okay I'm gonna go see a therapist because I don't want to take medication so I'm just gonna go see a therapist Mm -hmm. went to a therapist and I mean I will say I don't think I went to the right kind of therapist but I also didn't have the diagnosis to know like what the right kind of therapist would have been yeah and you never dealt with a mental health issue before so So just learning as I went. (laughs) And so when I was at my therapist, she was like, if you don't want medication, like just ask for like a baby Xanax prescription for like a really low dose from your doctor. And if you have it in your bag, like you might not even need to take it. Just knowing you have that for when you start to feel panicky. Will make you feel better. Mm -hmm. But I was nervous about that because it's a controlled substance. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do that. So I put it off, which I don't recommend. (laughs) putting off getting medicated until you're like at a breaking point because that can be really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Been there. Yeah. It's just not fun. So I, I had gone to Florida on vacation and I had a like slight panic attack on the way back on the plane. And prior to that, I hadn't had any in a little while. So I was like, I thought I was making progress. And then I had one and I was like, so upset. And that night when I got back, I like this wave of depression hit me and I hadn't had like felt like that kind of depression ever. And I just remember having a thought of like, I don't want to live if this is how it's going to be. And like, I'm going to keep having these panic attacks everywhere I go. And that thought really freaked me out because I never had a thought like that before. And that was when I was like, I need medication because clearly and the way my my therapist explained it to me, because I think when you're a normie, <laughs> that you kind of don't understand how like anxiety and depression go hand in hand until you yeah, experience it. Yeah, there's a it. lot of learning that has to happen, mm-hmm. yeah. And the way she kind of explained it to me is like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but your brain's kind of a pendulum in between. So like I was feeling super, super anxious. And so my brain swung all the way on the other side to try to balance me out and it just got messed up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because like what happens when you have a panic attack is it's basically your fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. So your body uses every single energy resource that it possibly has. Like imagine, you know, it's 3000 years ago and you're running from like a fucking tiger or something. And like, that's when you would have a panic attack or, you know, it wouldn't have been thought of a panic attack then, obviously, but like, that's your body's response to, oh, I need to run the fuck away from this lion right now. (laughs) So it, it's kind of like when they talk about like, um, like mom strength, like when they're kids like trapped under a car or something, suddenly they have like superhuman strength. Mm -hmm. It's basically that, um, it's the same kind of like thing going on in your brain. It's the same response. And so after you have a panic attack, you're, I mean, you're depleted. Right. And so I think like that would also like that makes sense that like then you would go into a a depressive state because all of your energy, all of your body's resources are now gone. Right. Yeah. Uh, Again, going to quote two episodes back because Justin put it so perfectly. Anxiety, depression and ADHD are all control are all happen in your frontal lobe is I'm pretty sure what it was. Mm -hmm. And so if your frontal lobe is underdeveloped, which is what ha- which is what causes ADHD, then you're more likely to have anxiety and you're more likely yeah. to have depression, right? So it's it's all happening in the same part of the brain. So if there's an issue with one aspect of it, it's going to bleed over and mm-hmm. cause other things. And that's why so often people with depression also have anxiety. People with ADHD also have depression. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, I mean, if, if I had been confronted with the same thing, like, three years ago, like, I've learned so much in the last year. So it's, like, when you're going to a therapist for the first time and you're, like, 25 or 23, whatever, like, you don't know any of that. Yeah. You, you have no way to, like, rationalize it in your mind. And so it's really difficult to put those puzzle pieces together. But I think for me, what has helped the most is having, like, a good scientific explanation for things yeah, and understanding how definitely. the brain functions more mm -hmm. and and being able to look at these as like these are just like biological functions right. that you know are happening because of x y and z and it makes it really like sterilized and not so personal right yeah kind of detach yourself from it yeah I mean I was just I was like I if I was depressed I'd get anxious that I was feeling that depressed and then if I was anxious I'd be depressed that I'm anxious and like can't enjoy my life you know so yeah once that deep depression hit I was like I need to get on medication because like clearly this isn't fixing itself and so um and I'm sure you know this by now both of you that like you can't really make a appointment with a psychiatrist like last minute <laughs> like they tend to be kind of booked up so yeah. I made an appointment with my general doctor and I explained to her how I was feeling and she wrote me a prescription for Zoloft. That's usually that's usually baby's first SSRI yeah. like across the board. <laughs> but she didn't just she didn't diagnose me. She just like was like I like yeah. just like half of adults feel this way like here's some medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that did make me feel better but um I actually ended up having like a terrible reaction to Zoloft. Which I don't want to scare mm -hmm. people away from taking it because I know, like you said, you had pretty good um, experience with it, right? I wouldn't say good. What I would say is, uh, again, you know, baby's first SSRI mm -hmm. because that one works for most people. So right. most people, if they're taking an SSRI for the first time, that's the one they go to because so many people have great success with it. And because I had never been on an SSRI before, you know, oh, I don't want to kill myself. Like, this is dope. Everything's great. <laughs> right. So I had no point of reference, right? Mm -hmm. But the longer I was on it, and I was taking a very high amount of it, they start, or at least for me, they started me off on 25. By the time I stopped taking it, I was on like 150 oh, wow. milligrams, which is absurd. Mm -hmm. I had to keep re-upping the dose and every time we would re-up the dose, the nausea side effect that I was getting from it would get so much worse. Yeah. And it was getting bad. Like I was and I'm a small person. I have to take stimulants for ADHD. So like having a good diet and making sure that I'm getting all my calories in is like super, super important. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, those so that two I don't, don't work well together. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's it's not it's not great, but Funnily enough, like taking my ADHD medication does give me more motivation to eat. So it's That's a weird good. catch 22 <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, so I wouldn't say that my like experience with Zoloft was like super great, but it wasn't awful. But, right. yeah. you know, again, it's like until you've been on a couple of them, like until you like figure out. And that's the thing that's scary for a lot of people going into taking an SSRI is that you always hear about, oh, I, I had to try four or five before I found one that worked. Yeah, that really scared me. That's such a scary thing to walk into. I mean, I didn't want to be on Zoloft anymore. I knew that I wanted to switch medications, but I was so terrified to switch medications yeah. that it took me months to finally do it. And like, thank God I did. Yeah. And it's like the withdrawals that you can experience are really scary. And it's like, I was in such a deep depression, like the thought of having to wait for like months to find the right medication was like terrifying. I was like, no, I need something ASAP. Like mm -hmm. it was bad. And, and I did get nauseous with the Zoloft too. So the Zoloft really heightened my depression. It was, it became way worse once I started. 
And I think, I think also what is hard when you're starting an SSRI is you don't know like, okay, are these normal side effects or are these side effects that I should tell my doctor about? Yeah. Because like some side effects you're just going to have, like my crazy uh, Lexapro dreams, like same, same. You don't have to tell your doctor that you're having, like, I mean, you can, but like, it's no reason to stop taking the medication. There's, there's nothing you can do about it. And honestly, some of them are a little entertaining. Right, (laughs) exactly. So I, I was having terrible depression that weekend. I started like, one of my best friends um, had a dress fitting for her wedding and I'm in the wedding and I was like I'm not gonna let her down and not go but like I had to push so hard that day trying to get through and like even act a little bit normal <laughs> like it was it was just a very dark time and then that Sunday night I ended up throwing up from my dinner and so I was like okay I don't think I should be on this medicine and that's yeah. when I switched to Lex Pro. Yeah, Zoloft for me was like the one right before I got to Prozac, which is the one I'm on now. And that's mm-hmm. And they're kind of similar, line. I think, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the whole nausea thing, like I just didn't eat breakfast on Zoloft. And I... Ronnie's also a petite person, so... Yeah. I'm a petite that's person a too, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the depression was just so bad that like I didn't want to eat, <laughs> so... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Lexapro has just been a world of difference. Like, so much better. And Ronnie, you said that Lexapro made you not want to eat? Did I miss that? No, that's that's true too. I don't think I said that. Zoloft made me not want to eat. Lexapro also didn't make me want to eat either. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like yeah. which which side effects would I rather have? Yeah. You know, like with soap, like you're like, okay, like I would I rather be nauseous or start a new medication? It's like the the lesser of two evils, you know? Yeah. And it was really hard, but like once but I'm so glad I did that. I'm such a big fan of Lexapro. I rave about it all the time. Um Lexapro's the best. Lexapro is Zoloft's younger, hotter sister. Um <laughs> Zoloft, or I guess Lexapro is like, if Zoloft is like an iPhone 4, Lexapro is like an iPhone 12. Yeah. Because it's basically the same medication. They just like made it better. And like, because, okay, I was on 150 milligrams of Zoloft. I'm on 20 milligrams of Mm -hmm. Lexapro and I feel great. Yeah. You know, but I also wanted to ask you because you said that like when you first went into it, you said that you went to a therapist because you didn't want to take medication. Mm Mm-hmm. Why were you apprehensive to take a medication? I'm just, I'm just, all, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm just always curious about that because yeah. I feel like a lot of people have that mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just the stigmatization that we have in this society of taking medicines to help your brain. Like, I think, well, my therapist, you know, sat me down and was like, "Your medication will not make you feel like someone else. Like, it will not change who you are." I think that's a big yeah. misconception, and she's like, it it should not make you feel like a zombie. If it does, then you need to get on a different one. Like basically, she was mm-hmm. like, if you don't feel like yourself, if you feel like a zombie, then that just means it's the wrong one. That means you yeah. just need to try a new one. It doesn't mean that they're all going to make you feel that way. You will find the right one that makes you feel okay. And I think yeah. that was really like a turning point for me is realizing that and. Just knowing like, okay, well, I know that like, if I don't start to feel like my old self, then I just need to switch. Yeah. So yeah, I think that was a big turning point. And um, I did actually, so once I got switched to Lexapro, eventually I did follow up with a psychiatrist and Mm -hmm. he was super thorough. I went to Emory in Atlanta, which they're awesome, but like, like they're expensive. 
and it's ridiculous yeah. and I literally had Psychiatrists to like are expensive. yeah and he didn't take my insurance but like I had such a hard time finding one that I felt good about and he was like recommended by my therapist so I mm-hmm. some of them I just got weird vibes from where they weren't returning my calls or whatever so I was like okay yeah. so I just had to use some of my savings <laughs> to go to the doctor America healthcare right there cries an American yeah um, yeah I, I mean my last psychiatrist what was I paying her what was it like two it was $500 an hour yeah is what I used to pay and I didn't have insurance when I did have insurance it was only $20 but mm-hmm. uh what I do want to say about that is that going to if you want to see like if you're thinking about like oh I should see like a psychiatrist or a therapist I don't know honestly starting with your like general practitioner doctor like your normal doctor is actually like a really good way to go because like a a family doctor is gonna like listen to you about your problems right you know a little bit at least not the way that a therapist would but they'll like listen to you and whatever and then they're also gonna like prescribe you some medication and they like have enough understanding of or I mean they do have just as much of an understanding maybe not as specialized maybe not as like in depth but they know enough to know whether or not they should prescribe you like Zoloft or not Mm -hmm. you know so I feel like actually a general doctor is a really good place to start if like insurance or not being able to find one that has availability or whatever is an issue Mm -hmm. honestly like I've been seeing my just like regular doctor for I mean this whole year and she's great I mean like she sends me like mood surveys every couple weeks Mm -hmm. I fill them out if she if if my responses are concerning she gives me a call and like make sure I'm yeah make sure I'm okay she'll like listen to me cry and mom me which is pretty nice Mm -hmm. um that ramble aside starting with a general doctor not a bad idea but you also touched on a lot of misconceptions and hurdles that people face when they're starting their mental health journey you know because you have to try other therapists the first therapist you try isn't going to be like the right one for you probably Mm -hmm. we we all know this um (laughs) extensively it's like dating Mm -hmm. yeah And um, even with, like, the psychiatrist, too, you want to do and, like, be with the person that's, you know, helping you feel the best you can and feel like, okay, so that's, like, a perfect step. And also, if you're going through insurance, you got to call, like, 16 doctors in one day. And then (laughs) maybe one of them will get back. Yeah. I had one moment. I, I had one moment when they called me back after I had gotten a psychiatrist and I was just petty in my head. Like, mm-hmm. thanks for calling me back six weeks later. I could have been your patient, but you're too late. My psychiatrist was a part of a residency program and he like gave me his office number and, but he could like check his voicemail from his cell phone. This poor guy, I called him probably like, I, there were days where I called him multiple times a day where I was like, is it normal to think like this? Is it normal to like, (laughs) like, and he answered every single one. He was awesome. And like worth the $400. What a hero. Um, but yeah, I, so, so like, as I was adjusting the medication, I guess my brain was just like going through it because I experienced like existential anxiety, like really bad and like obsession over it. I don't want to call it OCD because I, I've never been diagnosed with that and I didn't have like compulsions, but I was like obsessing over my existential questions. I 
um, had really bad intrusive thoughts that I was obsessing over. I had suicidal ideation, um, especially like during the Zoloft phase. So I was just like calling him every day, like, is it normal to be asking these questions about my existence? And he's like, yes, like, <laughs> these are normal questions. Like, I mean, I was obsessing a little too much, like, than a, like a average person would, I guess. But um, I was dealing with that. And then um, what else? Oh, and then I also dealt with a little bit of derealization as well, where I was like, what if this is all a simulation? Like, what if my parents are not real? Because I was spending, I was staying at my parents' house this whole time. Like, what if my parents aren't real? Like, what if I'm the only real person and everyone else is like a robot, you know? Like, and those are terrifying thoughts to have. And so luckily those thoughts went away when Stilex Pro kicked in. But it was interesting, like as my body was adjusting and like trying to regulate itself from anxiety and depression, like I was having all of these other mental health issues that I know other people deal with. So I really felt like I got like a rundown of like all of the everything. Issues. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, the simulation thing, that's really funny because I like tell this story a lot about how like I can remember sitting in the backseat of my parents' car when I was like six or seven and like getting so fucking like freaking the fuck out because I had a thought. I was like, I think God is dead. Oh, and God. like just like suddenly just like panicking and like thinking about like the universe and like wow, uh, whether or not there is <laughs> Yeah, dude. And I like, which just explains so much about like the fucking nihilist that I like grew up to be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight year old me would wonder if like God is dead. And just like having that thought and like panicking about it and then obsessing about it. And mm -hmm. then and yeah, so I like feel that experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't imagine feeling that as a child. Like that is really scary. I was a really sad kid. I should also clarify, like, I have major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. um, it runs in my, a lot of mental illnesses run in my family, fortunately. Uh, winning gene pool over here. Nice. Um, so I was pretty much born depressed, gonna die depressed kind wow. of thing. As, as nihilistic as that sounds, it's not that bad. Um, you know, once, you, once you're, like, properly treated and mm. medicated and whatever. And, like, it comes, it's not a constant bad but like your baseline is depressed right. just naturally across the board. So like, I mean, until I was like 20, I thought like, oh, I just like don't feel joy, like whatever. Wow. Like I thought that was normal. <laughs> that sounds so dark. But like when that's normal to you, it's like when people like talk about how like, oh, like sociopaths can't feel empathy mm -hmm. for other people. That's so sad. And you're like, well, it's not sad for them because they, they don't know, know any difference. Yeah. Exactly. And that's how it was for me. I thought like, oh, everyone just feels this dead inside. Yeah. Um, not the case. Uh, and then the other thing, so I wanted to ask about too, is like, so you said that you're, so you're 25 now mm -hmm. and you were diagnosed earlier this year. Yeah. So before that, you didn't have any other mental health issues, right? So that's what I thought. But now that I'm like- Looking back on it, yeah. you're like, oh, this was fucked. Yeah. Right. So- now that I'm on medication and I like feel like honestly I I don't have so I feel like before I was on Lexapro I would have kind of little depressing like depressive moments throughout the day where I was just like depressed like for no reason really like especially if I was alone I would get yeah. in these in my feels I guess and I don't really feel that anymore and like I live by myself now so that's like saying something <laughs> like I'm alone all the time now and so I I look back and I'm like okay I definitely had like at least a little bit of depression I mean it, I never had like suicidal thoughts or anything or 
anything yeah. like that you dealt with as a child, like, oh my God, I can't imagine. And my heart breaks for you, <laughs> you little, your little self. But I think it's, I think it's fucking hilarious now, but yeah, at the time it was pretty awful. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really glad I didn't do, and I don't think I really dealt with that till maybe I hit puberty and I'm like, I mean, I'm on birth control, so that could have honestly had something to do with it as well. But yeah. And then I also think I dealt with social anxiety, especially when I was in school, like it's amazing, yeah. like, now that I'm not in school, I'm like, oh, my God, like, I totally was anxious, like, all the time, like, and now that yeah. I, and it was more, like, the social aspect, not, like, the school aspect, it was, like, being in crowds of, like, people my age, like, kind of can make me anxious, and just, like, comparing yourself to others all the time, because you're surrounded by people that are the same age as you, and I don't feel that as much anymore, and I do think that not feeling that also really helped with starting my Instagram, because I really did want to start this Instagram for, like, three years, <laughs> And now that I don't feel as anxious about that, I was like, and I do, I will say like Corona, like just made me say YOLO, you know? And I was just like, yeah, we all need activities. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to do it. Like, we're all going to die from this virus. So I might as well just like do what I want. Um, Hopefully we all don't like fingers crossed for this vaccine. But um, so yeah, I definitely, I thought I didn't deal with anxiety and depression, but I definitely did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I just was going to say on that, like, you know, a lot of that can be chalked up to puberty, but like for some people it is like worse than others. But also I think it's interesting that like it all culminated around 25 because that's when your brain right. finishes developing. Mm-hmm. So like if you don't get diagnosed with like, if, if nothing like crazy like that happens by the time you're 25, it's probably never going to happen. Um, like, and it's usually, and it's for a lot of people that stuff like that starts to happen around early mid twenties because your brain is like almost undeveloping. Um, so yeah, just wanted to point that out for anybody. My brain was like almost done and they were like, you thought, you thought you could get away. Wait. (laughs) And nope, here's some panic disorder for you. Yeah. Yeah. Bill's character. It's good for us. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And now I wouldn't be on this podcast. You want to do your Instagram. I think, yeah, yeah, I think all of it is like, in the end, like as much as I love to be just like a miserable fuck about things. And I love to like, be super nihilistic. And because I think that's funny, like, in the end, like, I, I think it's for the best. Philip DeFranco always says that, like, every time I meet a funny person, I ask them, like, what childhood trauma, like, fucked them up? Because (laughs) it's, like, the funniest people are always have, like, like, fucked up childhood trauma or something bad happened to Mm -hmm. them. Like, people that just have, like, a super easy life. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, like, a lot of, like, I don't know, uh... Brad in the last episode talked about how like you know if you look at like every artist that's ever existed if you look at like everybody in the like 27 club those are all artists that were extremely talented and extremely gifted that all died in some tragic way in their 20s and like there is like a correlation there you know like that having those problems it it does it does lend itself to to something it's not completely useless in the grand scheme of your life like it is an obstacle but yeah and I mean I will I will say that like I had a pretty trauma-free childhood like shout out to my parents I know they're gonna listen to this I was I mean like I had a pretty good childhood nothing too out of the ordinary happened like can't really complain and I do think that adulthood and like the trauma I did experience last year like kind of just wakes you up and you're like oh the world isn't like so shiny and nice anymore you know and I think that like I said triggered the panic as well so I don't know that's just life I guess (laughs) kicking you in the butt that is just life 
The Pretty Girl Pill Club is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. So with this, like, um, you, you know, wanting to share your mental health journey on Instagram, what were you trying to achieve for yourself? And what did you want people to take away from Mm -hmm. your experience? So I think for others, I, I just wanted to show that like, any kind of mental illness, like doesn't discriminate, because I do think that in my life, people kind of might categorize me as like a happy person. (laughs) Like I, I do tend to be optimistic. Like I, I am kind of an upbeat human. So I mean, not always like I do have resting bitch face. Like I do have my moments. Like, so I, I feel like people might not expect me to deal with mental illness, if that makes sense. So I, I just wanted to kind of educate in that sense of like, anyone can have it. it does not discriminate. Like I have these issues and I don't know I feel like it kind of you know my Instagram account and the graphics are really bright and I feel like it kind of juxtaposes it if we want to get all that's kind of our thing too yeah Yeah. um so I don't know I feel like the art I do love bright colors and so I feel like those bright colors kind of represent me as a person but it's like I do have my own issues as well um and I do think yeah for what the Instagram has done for me is I have always hated being vulnerable like I have I don't I feel like it might be an only child thing because I'm an only child I don't know Mm -hmm. I feel like only children tend to like suppress their feelings yeah (laughs) um and so this this count has really forced me to open up and be vulnerable with others and I will say I think it's easier for me to write down in a caption what I'm feeling and you know what I want to say rather than speaking it but yeah it's been a really great way of pushing me outside of my comfort zone and just like I said with the social anxiety like I like three years ago I was just I would never have done this because I was just so nervous and now I kind of just don't care what people think so that's been a nice evolution of character I guess (laughs) do you feel like it means more for you um to do it on Instagram because you said the captions is like a good vehicle for you to explain yourself um yeah I mean I really like stories too because then you can just like ramble and kind of be Mm -hmm. um transparent I guess with everybody in and it disappears you know (laughs) which is nice but yeah exactly and then you I don't know like I do like the writing aspect coming up with captions um I love making art and being all artsy I mean I'm a total beginner and like self-taught so I'm just like still learning I'm self-taught too yeah and I and I think I'm self-taught and I call myself a graphic designer so it's (laughs) fine but you're good I love y'all's graphics um thank you and I, that's another thing that I've loved about this account is just it's been a and I, I actually majored in theater. And so I'm like a naturally creative person. And but I work in advertising now, and I don't really have a very creative job. So it's just been a really nice outlet for my creativity and like making reels like, you know, I used to film auditions and stuff all the time. So it's like, it's fun to like make things edit them make graphics. So it's been a nice little artistic outlet as well. So I do really like that I chose Instagram, I don't really know what other platform I'd do maybe like I don't know if I'd start a podcast (laughs) you guys have it's a lot of work it's a lot of work um I only recommend it if you have a lot of time on your hands 
or you have the cash to hire an editor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, because otherwise, maybe don't. But, but yeah, I think like the cool thing about Instagram that I've seen a lot of people do lately is, you know, because blogs are dead, right? So mm -hmm. people <laughs> kind of use Instagram as a blog instead. Yeah. Because you do, on like Twitter, you have like an unlimited amount of space to write pretty much as far as I know. I don't know. But you pretty much have like a big body of text text that you can put on it and you can add a graphic and so it combines like a lot of the things that a blog would have into a more like one easier to find two easier to consume mm -hmm. like piece of media so I think Instagram is really cool for that and I also have issues being vulnerable I'm not an only child but all of my siblings the second youngest sibling in my family, because I'm the youngest, and the second youngest is 10 years older than me. Mm, so you're kind of raised as one. For a I little felt bit. like an only yeah. child. Yeah. So I definitely felt like an only child. And that's why, I mean, I got diagnosed with ADHD really late because, like, I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that I was, like, feeling weird. I just thought, oh, I'm stupid. Cool. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Like, life goes on. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, so I can relate to the only child thing too. And that like, you just don't say anything about it yeah. because you don't have like another person to kind of be like, Hey, is this normal? Like, right. exactly. you just yeah, kind of keep it all to it. yourself. That's probably exactly yeah. it. Like you don't know, you don't have something to like measure, like what's considered, I hate using the word normal, like everyone's normal, but like, yeah, yeah. You don't have it, someone to measure against yourself. Like, Oh, they don't act this way or think this way. Like, should I be doing that? And so I don't know. It's, it's definitely, I think maybe, I think you're onto something with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, and it's only when I, like, became an adult, and now, like, all of my siblings and I are adults, mm -hmm. now we realize, oh, we all had the same issues, yeah. but our age gap was so wide that we just didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't know, like, my brother has OCD, which is, like, a man of, it's a type of anxiety, it's a manifestation mm -hmm. of anxiety, yeah. they tend to go hand in hand. So what you were saying earlier about having these kind of, like, obsessive, I guess, symptoms in what you were feeling like that. I mean, yeah, you don't have to have OCD to have that. But like, because OCD is closely linked to anxiety, and it's all a spectrum, like makes sense. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so my brother has really intense OCD and also uh, ADHD. And like, he just got well, he's been diagnosed with OCD for a long time. But he's like, how old is he? He's 12 years older than me. So he's like 36 ish. Um, and he just got diagnosed with ADHD for the first time, wow. like a month ago. Um, so he just mm -hmm. like kept it all in. And so, yeah, if you don't have a good like sibling relationship or you don't have any siblings where it's like a really wide, you know, age gap. And then it's only like when you grow up and you become an adult and like you talk to each other like adults that mm -hmm. you realize like, oh, fuck, like we, we had the same fucking issues this whole time and like had no idea. Yeah. So. And that was another yeah. thing of um, why I want to start my Instagram is so when I was going through it back in March and I was like in the pit of my depression I so I was, it was when I was having a bad reaction to Zoloft and my aunt is an is a nurse and so my dad was mm -hmm. like well why don't we call her and like ask her if this is normal like because it was on the weekend and I couldn't reach my doctor so yeah. I called her and then like we're talking and she's like yeah like I've been taking whatever like I don't even know I think she was on like Prozac she's like yeah I've been taking Prozac like since I like I've been depressed since I was a teenager never would have known and then yeah one of my best friends I I had told a couple of friends that I was like going through stuff and so um one of my best friends had told a mutual friend of ours to just like reach out to me she didn't really like go into detail 
Um, so that friend reached out to me and then we, we started talking and she was like, yeah, I went, th- I, I've been on SSRI since I was 15. Like I have had those exact same thoughts. Like, and I've known this girl for like seven years, probably like, yeah, it's just wild that I've known these people for so long and we had never known these things. It just never came up. Yeah. So that's why I think it's so important to talk about it because you just never know who has it. And most likely you'll find people that have had it this whole time and you just never knew. Yeah. Like my own brother like Mm -hmm. felt has, you know, two out of three diagnoses the same as me. Right. And like, we just didn't know. We Mm -hmm. just didn't know. And like, we're fucking siblings and we're super close and we never knew. And interestingly, like, one of the one of the many catalysts that led us to actually making this podcast was I had this kind of epiphany like I don't know maybe two years ago after a coworker of mine came into work and he was like sweating and like he was like like he was just kind of out of it and it's just like very casually it was like oh by the way like I ran out of my antidepressants I need to like call my psychiatrist so like if I'm a little off today like that's why Mm -hmm. and I like it really like blew me away that he was just like so like upfront about it Mm -hmm. and so just like like the same as like if you walked into work and said hey my stomach's kind of bothering me today yeah I'm fine but like just so you know if anything's happening like just like that and ever since then I started kind of doing the same thing Mm -hmm. and then an interesting thing that happened was it actually wasn't so I had another coworker who I was pretty close with. And he, I believe he turned 30 last year. Our birthdays are around the same time. So I think he's going to be 31 next year. And last year, and this is after I left that job, he just like randomly texted me one day. And he's like, hey, I've never told anyone this before, but I actually have ADHD and I've been on Adderall for 10 years. Wow. He had never told anybody that before. And he felt like he could tell you because you had been open about it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And like that was so crazy because and he got diagnosed at the same age that I was diagnosed obviously just like a big age gap there but Mm -hmm. like it took him 10 years 10 years from getting diagnosed and starting a medication to telling anybody about it yeah and I I felt pretty honored that I was the first person to find out about that and I I mean how you were saying your coworker was like oh he said it like how as if he had a stomach ache like that's how we need to normalize it like it mm-hmm. is, it's like a, your brain's not working just like if you had broken your leg, like you're, something's broken and you're fixing it. Like, and I, I think it's just, people have this fear of coming off as crazy or different. And it's like, if you have a broken leg, it's like, okay, everyone breaks their leg. Like you can see it, it's visible. So it's like, oh, I know that I'm not yeah. the only one that has had a broken leg before, but you can't see what's going on in your brain. So you don't know what everyone else is dealing with, but it should be talked about like it's a stomach ache because it's upsetting that that guy thought he couldn't tell anyone for 10 years. And it's like, that's nothing to be ashamed of. So many people deal with it. And the stigmatization is just bad. And I live in the South and I feel like it's probably worse here. I know that like in religious circles, I know it can be very stigmatized, like taking any sort of medication for that. And that's like a big thing too. Like you have to be able to open yourself up and like speak to people about it. Cause sometimes when you just hold it in inside, it literally just gets worse and festers. Right. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. And I think it helps to for someone else to know because then they keep an eye on you, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's a big deal to, um, it feels really, really difficult to do 
And it's hard because especially when you are the person with the disorder, you don't want to feel like or you don't want to come off like you're making excuses for yourself. And Mm -hmm. it it can be difficult to strike that balance. Um, And something that I realized was really important to do was to like I worked at a coffee shop on Sunset Boulevard for uh, like two years. And before that, I was at the same coffee shop, but at a different location in Venice, which was even fucking crazier. (laughs) And um, that, I mean, that job was intense. And a whole like year into me working there, I finally just like said to my like supervisor one day, I was like, hey, by the way, because I was working register and the way it works is like the person on espresso tells the person on register what the orders are. And then you just have to remember them mm-hmm. until the person makes it over to the register and then you put okay. it down. I have, a, I have a hard time with that. ADHD, yeah, <laughs> dyslexia, not a good combo. Mm-hmm. And I would constantly be asking them to repeat it to me. And I would do that like maybe two or three times. And they would get annoyed with me and rightfully so. But like then one day I was just like, hey, by the way, just so you know, when I ask for you to repeat the order two or three times, I'm going to try really hard not to do that. But I do have ADHD and dyslexia. So sometimes it's really hard for me to like remember those. And I just like explained it to them in a very sterile medical like scientific way. And I didn't make a big deal out of it. I just said it in passing. And then no one ever got mad at me for doing that ever again. Mm -hmm. Like people were just became more patient with me. And so like a part of it is like people can only be as patient with you as you allow them to be. I don't know if that quite makes sense. But like if you don't tell anybody you're not even giving them the opportunity right to like to be patient with you because some people are going to be a dick about it and that's just life but like if you don't tell them you're not even giving them the opportunity to be a dick about it Mm -hmm. if they're going to be a dick about it like and another thing that a lot of people don't realize um or don't take advantage of because of the type of like culture that we have in the u.s specifically people feel really bad about like um, asking for accommodations in the workplace because you don't want to seem like you're not qualified for your job, right? Like yeah. you don't want to seem less than. But here, here's the thing, guys. <laughs> um, the ADA exists for a reason. And um, it's your employer uh, is legally obligated <laughs> to right. make those accommodations yeah. for you. Like it, even if it's just like, Like, even just for ADHD, I didn't even realize that counted as, like, a disability that you could ask for accommodations for at work. You can. Um, Wow. And, and, like, so, yeah, know know your labor. Well, California specifically has some of the best labor laws in the country. But, Mm -hmm, like, know your labor laws. Take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was dealing with it all, like, I had to call my boss and say, like, hey. Because I've I've been able to work from home, um, like, with my job just a couple days a month. Obviously, we're, like, full-time now with corona, but at the time, we were not, and I was like, hey, I'm going to work from home for the foreseeable future because I'm depressed, and I I was like, I'm starting new medication, and I don't want to be at work when this is happening because I don't know what the side effects yeah. are going to be like, and I'm at my parents, and they're going to keep an eye on me, and he was just like, okay, <laughs> luckily, and I mean, he can't do anything about it. It's like I, It's like, I know I can do my job from home. So there's really no reason right now to argue that. So, um, but I was lucky that they were very understanding and nice about it as well. Yeah. Ask for help. Yeah. I think if you don't make a big deal out of it, like, you know, if you say it like so casually, like, like that Mm -hmm. first guy did in the first story about like, he said it, like he had a stomachache. If you just make it seem like this is what's going on and therefore I need this to happen. And you say it like very matter of factly 
and you don't like I don't know like you just have to like you have to talk about it the way that it should be talked about Mm -hmm. I guess and I think and when you and when you do that you're giving others permission to do the same for themselves I think when when someone hears you talk about it like they're like oh now I can talk about it and it's just a cycle that is a great one and it's it's very like freeing and it and I think keeping it to yourself can cause even more anxiety so just tell people (laughs) yeah yeah because especially with ADHD like the feeling less than the feeling stupid like all of that was like my entire life right Mm -hmm. and as soon as I started just like telling people that I worked with like by the way I like I have this uh diagnosis I have to take this medication for it I might need extra help with this or I might need extra time for this because of that and like I I don't feel that like weird guilt and shame anymore Mm -hmm. because I just like I put it out there for people I'm not trying to hide it it doesn't feel like as much of a thing because it's like I, I was very upfront about like what my personal limitations are and that doesn't mean that like you're always going to have to be like like babying you around your exactly yeah it's just like giving people the proper understanding and just being honest with yourself about what your limitations might be Mm -hmm. too like and I think post Rona in a post Rona world (laughs) I think fortunately uh people will be able to work from home more which I know is helpful for a lot of people with ADHD definitely helpful for for, yeah for people (laughs) with anxiety uh definitely helpful I mean helpful for like a lot I mean if I had had the option to do like zoom school in high school I probably would have done so much better Mm -hmm. like truly and genuinely and I think like those options becoming more of a normal thing now is like kind of the silver lining of everything because it's like like I had to fight with my last employer to be able to work from home because I kept telling them like I will get more work done at home like it's Mm -hmm. too loud in this office there's too many distractions I cannot do it I need to be at home where it's quiet and like um and all these things and like I swear to god the first day that they let me work from home I got like a message in slack saying oh my god you got so much work done today I was like yeah that's what the fuck I've been telling you for like three months and so yeah. And the thing is, is like, you need to just advocate for yourself. Right. So I think that's, that's a really important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the reasons that we really wanted to have you on as a guest was mm. because we saw the self care highlight on your IG story. And that's kind of interesting, especially to think about how much like what you eat can can sometimes affect, you know, how you're feeling mentally, but sometimes it's not like always the case. So It was interesting what you said about probiotics and the wellness industry. So what do you think about specifically like the people who push like this is the 10 best ways to wellness Mm and in terms of like products and things like that? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that um, highlight for people listening, basically, I had watched a 60 minute episode with my parents and there was a segment about how probiotics are super popular, but they had all these doctors on saying that there's very little research that they do anything. So I was just talking mm-hmm. about how we as consumers like tend to listen to influencers on Instagram all the time, just selling us stuff. Yeah. And we don't really check if there's science behind what they're saying. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, so I will say this, my mom's a dietitian, mm-hmm. And so I've had that like voice in the back of my head my whole life of like fad diets do not work basically. And yeah, and you know, if you go to any dietitian, like they're most of them do not approve of any kind of fad diet. 
Um, and that includes like keto or intermittent fasting. Like those are fat. I always talk (laughs) shit on keto. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. These like, and so I have that in the back of my mind all the time. So when I'm like scrolling on Instagram and people are talking about like a juice cleanse or whatever, like, God, don't do a juice cleanse. Like my advice is like, if you want to do any sort of diet or like supplement, like make an appointment with a dietitian and get that advice. And I know that's like a privileged point of view because I know not everyone has insurance and can afford to go to a dietitian, but like at least do some Google research and like look on WebMD. Like, and yeah, I just think that, you know, people need to make money. So, and like Instagram is like a hustle culture or whatever. And so I don't want to like hate on people for needing to pay their bills, but it's like, yeah, for sure. I just feel like the wellness industry is kind of overrun with consumerism where it's like true wellness is not based on like products you're buying. It's, it's your relationship with yourself, how you're taking care of yourself. Oftentimes you can do that with very little to no like spending. You can just do stuff at home. And I mean, I, I don't want to knock people for like making fun, like self-care products because obviously I love those kinds of things, but I think with wellness, we kind of have to remind ourselves of the root of like the reason why you're doing it and just listen to science. Like that's all I have to say is like, yeah, for the love of God, everybody listen to science. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think you followed us and then I was like stalking your page and I was like, Oh yeah. Like typical, like, and not in a bad way, but I was just like, yeah, typical like wellness Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. It it kind of is like a Trojan horse a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I like watched and I saw, and like, again, like two episodes back, like, uh, just or Eddie and I actually were talking about how we're unironically triggered by the phrase self-care on social media Mm -hmm. because of how bastardized it is Mm -hmm. um and and I saw that and I was like oh let me just like click on this and I was like oh shit okay no like this girl's what's up like she knows (laughs) what's up and I'm like because I think like it like a lot of especially on Instagram, there's a lot of people trying to sell you like a really pristine idea of what wellness is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it includes zero discussion about seeing a therapist or seeing a psychiatrist or taking medication. No, 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 no. You don't need any of that. Just like take these supplements and like eat a vegan diet and like you'll be fine. And like as much as I shit on that stuff, um, diet, exercise, all that stuff is great for your mm-hmm. mental health, but but that alone is not always going to do it. That's not going to unpack your trauma from, like, years of trauma. Like, yeah. <laughs> go talk that yeah. out. Yeah, like, there's a lot of people who, like, that's all they have to do to, like, be okay mentally, mm-hmm. and, like, God love them, and, and that's wonderful, but, like, I think the market is just, like, oversaturated with a lot of that discussion and not so much like the other side of it Mm -hmm. because like yeah I constantly hear all the time people being like I don't want to be on medication I don't want to be on medication like can't I treat this without going on medication and it's like yeah you can if you like and again Justin put it I'm gonna quote him like 800 times (laughs) it was such a good episode I love that one he is just so like I'm like we're never gonna we're never gonna we're never gonna beat that Mm -hmm. Uh, we're never gonna top that um but he put it so perfectly it's like you don't have to lift a hundred pound weight if you can lift a 50 pound weight instead like why make it harder for yourself and to put the idea in people's heads that there's something noble about treating your mental health issues in a quote unquote natural way is silly. Um, everything's a chemical. <laughs> like, so true. I, I love, I love when like blonde girls on Instagram, not to like 
single out like white blonde girls on Instagram, but like, you know who I'm talking about. We know about. the type. Um, <laughs> yeah, are like, oh, I love this product because there's no chemicals in it. It's like water is a chemical. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I think there's just like a... There's no true definition of what a clean product is. Like, I'll say that. But also like what you're saying about lifting a 50 pound weight, exactly like the medication just helps take the edge off so that you can start doing the real work in therapy mm -hmm. and you're not just constantly like sad and depressed and like I want to die <laughs> and that it helps mm -hmm. take the edge off of those feelings so that you could actually you know dig into those deep-seated traumas or whatever and I, I also say I feel like the word trauma is overused now too on social media but yeah truly what I mean is the real trauma and going through that and like why you feel the way you are like how you are the, like why you are the person that you are today um so there's absolutely no shame in taking medicine. I do love that saying, like, everything is a chemical. So what what's the harm, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's like, again, like, I've, I've gone on the ramp before about, like, it's in California, like, weed's been legal for people over 21 for, I don't know how long now, Ronnie, like, four years, three years, I don't, three yeah, years, I don't know. I don't know anymore. But the marketing for it is so pervasive and just so predatory, I think. Interesting. Hot take. A lot of people don't like that opinion. But um, but yeah, and I think other people who live in states where it's recreational illegal might also relate to this, that there's like the, as I call it, big weed um, is trying to like tell people that like, yeah, weed cures everything. Like, just just smoke CBD and like all your problems go away. And it's, and it's like, and I read this article about um, people trying to like treat their kids for ADHD with like medical marijuana instead of like Adderall. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that Adderall gets a bad rap and like people abuse it and it's like a big yeah. problem, like totally. But like for the people who need it, it's like a life changer. And like this, and and there's like this interesting quote in the article where it's like, yeah, I just didn't want to like put my kids on drugs. And it's like, do you, you are the understand? <laughs> They're both drugs. Yeah. Do you understand what you're saying? They're both drugs. Like, it, so again, everything's a chemical. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I, I totally agree. And like, I mean, I've never tried CBD like on its own. Um, but, and I just feel like I, there's research saying that like extensive weed use can cause more anxiety in the future. So it's like, yeah, unfortunately, there's, I mean, I think all the progress that's been made is awesome. And, you know, maybe if um, Georgia wins these Senate races and in turns the Senate yeah. blue, we might see some more progress. But um, I just, unfortunately, there's not enough science to like back up a lot of the claims that are being made yeah. because it's not nationally recognized as a recreational drug. But we'll see what happens in the next couple of years, I guess. To tell on ourselves, we used to shill CBD. Um, that was think, our well, yeah, my last job. Yeah, one of my, Ronnie's recent jobs. Yeah. Um, I I think the moment for me when I like I think really turned my back on it was when I like had broken my arm, and I was like rubbing CBD on it, and I was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, and my arm was still like <laughs> off essentially. But before that, man, I could have told you that CBD would cure anything fucking everything yeah because that was the bill that paid me <laughs> yeah and it's a placebo effect I'm a little bit I'm sure too I mean obviously it helps yeah. with stuff but sometimes you just need western medicine like like I'm all for trying natural remedies as well but like sometimes you just need the western stuff because it, it, it yeah. is a trick 
Yeah, I think there has to be a balance of both. And I think it there is like, an, and again, like I'm not anti-weed. I just think like some of the marketing is a little o- over the top. And I know because I used to produce that marketing for a mm-hmm. company and I know how ridiculous it is. And Ronnie does too. It's the company that yeah. we don't name, but as soon as Ronnie is able to uh, sell his shares, we're going to drag them. But um, We're getting very close to that day too, so it's good. Hell yes. Okay, great. So keep an eye out for that. Okay. Uh, but um, yeah, we're going to drag them because I, I have such a vendetta. I'm so petty, but... Um, but it's just like, I'm not anti-weed. I would love for it to be recreationally legal everywhere because we make so much, so many tax dollars off of it. And I would rather people smoke weed than drink alcohol, Mm -hmm. whatever. Not the point. Um, but it's just like, yeah, I think like, again, like a lot of the marketing is predatory and they're trying to sell you this idea that, you can cure everything with cannabis and you can't like I've read um so many uh research papers just in the last like few months for researching for episodes for the show about like here's why giving your ADHD kids CBD is probably not going to help them Mm -hmm. like and their brain's not fully formed so it's like who knows what damage that can do yeah and the same can be said for a lot of other like uh, psychiatric medications I mean like we don't know the effects of giving somebody, we don't know the long-term consequences of of starting someone on Adderall at like 10 years old. And then it's like, they turn 30, what happens then? But like, and Ronnie and I did a whole episode about this. All of the research says, if you take it the way that your doctor prescribed it to you, you're fine. Mm -hmm. And so to, it's like this weird like dichotomy where it's like, it's either like natural solutions or big pharma and like yeah you're either on one team or the other and and even your natural solutions over there are sounding like they're turning into big pharma themselves yeah that's why (laughs) i call them big weed because it's like they literally like they're they're, like they're worse than big pharma in a lot of ways because it's the the marketing stuff isn't uh or would it be the ftc i don't even know or i guess the fda because they're not regulated at all by like Mm -hmm. the fda or whatever um and that's actually been my my issue, I've I have wanted to try a CBD, but like I don't know how to like know what's the purest form of it, and like, yeah, I have asthma, so it's like I don't want to be breathing in like random crap that could be in there. So yeah, and it, it just needs to be regulated, and there needs to be more research on it before people start yeah. making all these wild claims. <laughs> yeah, because I will say actually, like if you've ever anybody who's ever taken like actual pure cbd in its purest form will know that like it does help a little bit it's not going to replace xanax for you Mm -hmm. if that's something that helps you but it's a great um ancillary thing to that like it can be a thing that does help you yeah um, help make your medication work better or whatever it's a compliment to it it's not it's not a supplement yeah so i i mean like to anybody who's like i'm not trying to uh i guess discourage people from trying that stuff because i do think it's good i just think you need to really do your research because again as ronnie and i know very intimately uh a lot of those cbd companies be lying um so yeah yeah but yeah yeah i'm always like interested in like just the way that like the wellness industry is kind of like is it is it helping the stigma around mental health or is it hurting it and sometimes i feel like it's hurting it more than it's helping Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean quote of the day do your research like and talk to actual doctors if you can i know that and and I also know that on Instagram, there's like coaches now, like anxiety coaches, confidence coaches, which like, 
but they're people that are they they might just have ex- like firsthand experience so i'm sure they have good advice and i'm sure it's a great alternative for people who might not be able to afford therapy but it's like if you can afford therapy just go to therapy <laughs> like talk to a yeah. person who's gone to school for this for years because they will know like the scientific explanation behind what you're feeling. We also, to plug another episode, uh, episode 16, we talked all about the BetterHelp scam because it's a scam. Don't use BetterHelp, guys. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's low-key a pyramid scheme. Oh, I'm going to have <laughs> and, to read up on and, that. Oh, I'll, I'll listen to that episode, duh. I cited all the sources on the webpage for it. So if anybody does want to read up on it, I, I have the receipts. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like very, it's very bad. But that said, yeah, and it is like, um, again, see a real doctor if you can afford it. But also, like paying like a life coach or something, like I almost feel like you could just, you know, life coaches aren't necessarily like have any qualifications. Like you can just like talk to your friends and like you'll feel a lot better too. Yeah, I've like gone through my phase of wanting to be a life coach because I just love giving advice really. Um, big Virgo energy right, over here exactly <laughs> and my dad's just like Christina first of all you have to like mm-hmm. live your life first before you become a life coach like you can't exactly. be giving advice out if you're 25 like um, yeah so I've kind of rethought that and I I have been approached a couple times on Instagram of people like love your page are you interested in becoming a life coach and I'm like you don't even follow me but okay yeah <laughs> I'm also 25 and I'm I just have the like mystique of being together it's like not real right. that's why I preface everything I say with like I'm an actual idiot like I I went to school for graphic design and I dropped out so like don't listen to me about unless it's a question about like Adobe Photoshop like I'm not the person to I ask. might ask you because I'm just <laughs> learning Photoshop now Ooh, yeah I'm kind of an expert so okay, great in all I'll the Adobe shoot any apps. questions over your way <laughs> will do um I used to give Ronnie like uh Photoshop lessons over <laughs> over Zoom when we worked at the same company because mm-hmm. I was the entire like design department and I'd be like Ronnie I need help here's how you do this now, now yeah. do it 50 more times thank you yeah I've thought of like going back to graphic design and or going back to school for graphic design because I just find it fun don't do it yeah and my dad's like Christina graphic designers because he works with them at his job and he's like they're the most overworked people and they like always have tight deadlines (laughs) yeah no we're the most underappreciated and underworked um and also don't go to school for it if you want to be a graphic designer uh just like get a Skillshare membership not sponsored uh or something (laughs) or like watch a bunch of like YouTube videos like I literally I just google shit that's my education like and mm-hmm. people like you can learn a lot yeah and people like legitimately hire me and think I'm a real professional so like you can do it like jokes on them <laughs> yeah no I feel like I'm like scamming people into thinking I'm like <laughs> into thinking I know what I'm what I'm doing and I'm like I just google shit and then I somehow have a decent portfolio I don't know nice. um if anybody wants to hire me <laughs> yeah but one thing you also mentioned on your Instagram uh is that is meditation apps Mm -hmm. and I wanted to know because my dad is also the type of person that always tells me to like meditate and I would always like roll my eyes at him when I was like an angry little teenager my dad would be like don't tell a teenager to meditate he's like do you want to do like a guided meditation I'm like no fuck you dad and I like (laughs) slam my door and like go cry in my room for three hours so like what got you into trying meditation and like how were you able to discipline yourself enough to actually do it And like, how have you found it helpful? So 
I started meditating three years ago. So I graduated college in 2017. And Mm -hmm. I, so I had like four months before I was moving to Florida for a job I had gotten. So yeah, I had, I had gotten a job in Florida and I had four months between graduation and moving there for the job. And I felt like I, I feel like I was pretty depressed throughout my senior year of college and didn't really know I was. Um, I talked about this for a second on my um, Instagram, but I had gone, I had made appointments that are like counseling for my college. Like I had mm-hmm. made like three separate appointments and I canceled all of them the day of because I just chickened out. And I, like I said, I hate being vulnerable. I didn't want to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So I just think I, and I know that in college, you're supposed to like find yourself or that's why everyone like movies tell you, which is like, honestly, like not true. I feel like. Um, you you're still might be pretty lost after college, like just a heads up, everyone out there that's still in college. So, and I, I went to a small liberal arts school, majority white, like I was in a sorority and it was just like, everyone was like very similar, I guess. And I just feel like there was more of like a group mentality, especially within Greek life um, to be, not be different, you know? And so I feel like I kind of lost my sense of self and I just had lo- low self-esteem. Like I was looking for that in all the wrong places and that summer I was like you know what like this is my summer of me (laughs) summer of 2017 is the summer of me and I was like I'm gonna Mm -hmm. meditate I'm gonna do yoga I'm going to I read um my one of my favorite books you are a badass by Jen Sincero it's a great self-help book for like if you've never read a self-help book before it's a good like beginner one I just really like tried to hone in on like myself I kind of realized that I wasn't talking to myself in the nicest way I never really like analyzed how I talked to myself and my inner thoughts about myself. So um, I decided to start meditating and I found this app through like an influencer followed on Instagram called One Giant Mind. And it's like this lovely Australian man who's like so calming to listen to talk when you hear him talk. Mm -hmm. And he started this um, free meditation um, app and they had like a 12 day course on how to learn to meditate. So I did that and it was like 20 minute, I think it was 20 minutes of meditation or 15 every day. And then there, but there'd be like an introductory video and then you could like journal about your experience after. And for me, I'm an overthinker. I feel like my brain's always like going at a mile a minute. And I think there's like a, misconce- a misconception with meditation that you're just supposed to shut your brain off. Yeah. But for me, it's like, no, you can let your thoughts come. But it's just you want to return to yourself, like acknowledge the thought, then return to yourself or your breathing or mantra or whatever you want to use as your way of centering yourself. My mind isn't really quiet during the meditation. It's more quiet after because I've let it's like um, I'm just kind of unloading all my thoughts as I'm sitting there in silence. I'm letting them come and go. And then I'm like, okay, now those thoughts are out of my brain and I can focus on my day. Now I meditate for 10 minutes every morning. I mean, I just use either one giant mind or insight timer. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's being gentle with yourself and not being hard on yourself when you're having all these thoughts, like that's what you're supposed to do. I think that's just the biggest misconception. And so I think just having those 10 minutes to myself in the morning is just a great grounding exercise. And I think in 2017, when I was dealing with all my self-esteem and finding myself again, I feel like it really helped because you're coming back to your breathing, coming back to yourself. It really helps ground you in like who you are and you are centering yourself and kind of letting all the other extraneous thoughts fly away. (laughs) 
Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. You're kind of like, you're, because this is something that um, we talked about again a few episodes back and that I always struggle with is like thinking about like, okay, how am I doing? Like, Mm -hmm. it's hard to have that uh, presence of mind to be self-aware. And I feel like- um, Checking in with yourself. Yeah, because if you're, you're letting yourself just like let every like weird intrusive thought come in, it is like probably a good time to just be like, okay, how, how the fuck am I? Like, Mm -hmm. am I, like, how am I doing? And like, because I think a lot of us are just like moving through life and not really like taking a moment to check in. It is important, whether it's meditation or something else to like, take a minute to kind of just like ask yourself, like, how am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, and if you're trying a new medication, like, okay, how do I feel right now? Yeah. How have I been feeling the last four hours? Okay, cool. And then like, you know, because yeah, it, it, a lot of a lot of like dealing with mental health is just like a practice and self awareness. Mm-hmm. So yes, very much so. And I think you know, in the twentieth or twenty first century, like we're just surrounded mm-hmm. by media and like content all the time, and it's just nice to just sit in silence. I mean, it's not even silence. Like I have like this like music in the background, so I'm not even sitting in real yeah. silence, but just like not doing anything for 10 minutes is really nice. And I definitely when I first started, I was not doing it every day. I like went through phases where I was not doing it at all. And just I think within this past year in 2020, I've really been doing a good job. But I think that's also because I'm not having to commute to work and I'm not like rushing out the door. So now I have a little more time to move slowly in the morning. And it I mean, obviously, it takes like what 30 days to create a habit. So um, there is mm-hmm. a 30-day um, challenge on the One Giant Mind, which is, like, to try to make it a habit. So that's a good option as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just sticking through it, maybe setting a timer in the morning to remind you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I mean, and now I feel off when I don't do it. Oh, yeah. And and if we're all, like, honest with ourselves, I think everybody spends at least, like, 10 minutes in the morning awake, still in bed, but not getting up yet. So, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just meditate in bed. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't even leave my bed. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I, I I, think it doesn't have to be like such a structured thing, you know, like, and, and again, like a, another thing is like, we have this like very pretty Pinteresty idea of like what quote unquote self care is. And it's like, maybe you do just like lay in bed for like five minutes after you wake up and just like stare at the ceiling. And like, that's your time. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. doesn't have to be like this super like trendy whatever thing that's like being pushed down our throats on like social media and like through marketing and stuff and I definitely still check my phone in the morning Mm -hmm. like I'll check my phone and then meditate oh yeah nobody's perfect (laughs) and a lot of it is just like just building habits which is hard as somebody with ADHD uh habit trackers are fun I do one for flossing oh nice (laughs) I'm glad that you mentioned um journaling so I had actually just started journaling Mm mm-hmm and um it was one thing for me to like think about things that were stressing me out but it was another thing to like actually write them down that was like a whole different experience Mm -hmm. so what would you say is journaling has been important for you yeah um i will say i don't journal every day um i'm so i do think journaling is kind of a form of meditation because you're just getting all your thoughts out right Mm -hmm. and don't you feel just like, I don't know, if I have something weighing on me and I write it down, I don't feel it as much, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do keep a journal um, just to jot things down. I use it more for like lists. So every month I'll like write down affirmations that I want to repeat to myself. Or just like if my therapist wants me to make a list, I'll do my homework in there. 
Um, I also keep a journaling app on my phone because I'm like such a millennial, you know, and (laughs) got to do that. And I like cannot be bothered to get a piece of paper and pen because my hand gets tired. So I just type it out on my um, journaling app and it's like coded so no one can get in and read it. And I will do that if I really have something weighing on me. I'm like, like, I know when I need to journal because if I have something like really tough going on I I'll write it down and I definitely always feel better and it's usually an emotional release as well and I did a lot of that in that summer of 2017 as well that's when I really started writing like anytime I had a thought like a profound self-proclaimed profound thought I would write it in my little journaling app on my phone and that just helped me kind of reflect on how I was feeling about myself and different realizations I had that summer Yeah, being able to write something down, at least for me, um, I'm using like physical pen and paper and I can like think about it a million times a day and get it out and like nothing really changes as much. But when I like write it down, it's like kind of in stone. So it seems to like work, Mm -hmm. at least for me going forward. So it's glad that people have found it to be helpful. Yeah, it's a great tool. Yeah, something I've like been saying, because again, like dyslexic, I don't like to write whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, is that I feel the same thing about just like talking through my thoughts. Again, that's why we have a podcast so that <laughs> I can give myself free therapy once yeah. a week. Just again, like people with dyslexia, ADHD, blah, 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 like uh, our thoughts aren't linear. And so it's not until you say them out loud that they even make sense to you. You know, like it's all over the place. And sometimes I will just like, especially like listening back to myself talking also is like a thing where I'll hear myself say the same thing like three times. And then by like the third time, it finally makes sense. And I'm like, oh, that was me. Like I can like actually hear myself, like hear my mind working almost. And like, Mm -hmm. it does feel good. And once you say it out loud, it like, it's more real and it's more tangible. So especially during Rona, we all see the value in like actually like getting on the phone and talking to people more. Oh, yeah. I think what it comes down to is like there needing to be an outlet, Mm -hmm. no matter what the outlet is. It can be any form of art. And Mm -hmm. I like realized that one of the darkest points in my life was like right before I started doing design again. And I was just working at a coffee shop 45 hours a week and I wasn't doing anything artistic. And like that's that's why I felt really bad and I was like super lost and I didn't know what I was doing with my life yeah because you're not being challenged by anything yeah yeah and 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 challenged by things and I was challenged by things that weren't really important in the the grand scheme of my life too and there wasn't really an outlet other than just like complaining to to my then shitty boyfriend who like probably didn't care (laughs) Um, and so like as soon as I started having like an artistic outlet again that that helps so like I don't know it makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I know for people who are like don't like aren't really artsy or like have no kind of artistic like outlet or don't like know what I mean I feel like everyone can find one I didn't think I was artistic until digital design came about yeah I said that I think I said that yeah I think you did (laughs) yeah dude anybody can photoshop shit Mm -hmm. yeah and it's fun it's fun to learn even yeah I think even people that like don't see themselves as artistic like you can find something like even if it's bad like don't wear that's what I tell myself is like and obviously I'm a beginner I don't want to like sound super full of myself when I say this because like I'm by no means an expert but like anytime I want to make something for my Instagram but I have imposter syndrome about it I'm like what if it's bad or like what if I don't like it I'm like okay Christina then you don't have to post it 
like yeah. just make it first it's like yeah any I mean if your outlet is not something that anyone else will see like who cares like just do it for yourself you know yeah. the amount of like shit that I've made for our Instagram that it's never seen the light of day and will never see the light of day <laughs> it, it's insane I make so much dumb shit and like some of it gets put on the internet some of it doesn't yeah. and the stuff that I don't like I just delete it and then no one ever sees it but mm-hmm. like sometimes the bad idea leads you to the good idea right. too yeah like sometimes you just need to make a couple really bad first drafts and then like the good thing will come out of it but it's like yeah just don't show anyone if you don't like it like it's not like anyone's judging you if they can't see it <laughs> it's so like inconsequential so mm-hmm. oh yeah i was gonna ask you about your lexapro dreams yes um, tell me tell us about this because i know mine are fucking wild yeah so so actually the other night i think it was like Sunday night was like the first night that I like well I went to sleep and then I woke up Monday and I like didn't really remember my dream in like the Mm -hmm. longest time like it's funny because I just been talking about how like crazy they were and then that night like I didn't have any crazy dreams but yeah I mean ever since I started Lexapro they've just been like I mean all dreams are weird I feel like people are like oh I have weird dreams but it's like yeah we all have weird dreams it's like nonsense in our brains but there's something about a Lexapro dream yeah but there's something about Lexapro (laughs) dream yeah it's just a lot yeah yeah it's like your dreams are on acid like everything's just so more like it's more vivid it's like yeah you feel more immersed if that makes sense and yeah to the point where I've I've dreamt about things and then in my real life I'm like did I dream about that or did that actually happen like I legitimately cannot remember yes yes recently I have been having these dreams where like I'll dream an entire like action movie psychological thriller movie plot like like I will have a dream that I go to a movie theater and this has happened a few times in the dream I go to a movie theater and the movie starts and then I fall asleep and then I'm asleep in the movie theater and then in the dream that I'm having in the dream oh, it's like inception I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> dreaming the movie that I'm like supposedly watching in the theater it's like some weird amalgam amalgamation of like every action thriller that I've ever seen and I've like woken up and like throughout my day have thought like what movie was that I'm like that's not a real movie that's just some like weird bullshit that like your brain came up with yeah or like a I I think I've dreamt about um and of course now I like can't even remember but I I feel like I've dreamt about the same place multiple times but it's like a fictional place Mm -hmm. and then in my real life I'm like have I been there in real life because you know how in your dreams like you never dream like Everyone in your dream, you've seen their faces before. Have yeah. you heard that? So yeah. I wonder the same thing about places or like, can we just make up places in our mind? I guess we can. But yeah, um, yeah I just, it, it kind of confuses my reality a bit. And I had a dream the other day that um, one of our family friends was pregnant, like out of wedlock, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're in Georgia and that's like a huge deal here. And, the South. <laughs> and <laughs> But, like, I'm not close enough with her to where she would tell me. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wait, is she pregnant? Like, did I see that on Instagram? Because in my dream, I saw it on Instagram. Yeah, they seem so real. Yeah. That's, like, what's so, like, they're not even necessarily bad dreams. Like, they're not, mm-hmm. they're just weird. They're not bad, at least for me. But they're so real, it's honestly jarring. <laughs> yeah, it's jarring. That's the perfect word. Yeah, they're just, like, too clear. <laughs> Ronnie, did you have, 
Lexapro Dreams too, and you were on it? That's the thing. I'm like trying to remember. I like remember this one weird dream where there were like a lot of like lanky people, and it was like in a world where everything was like dark and everybody oh, was that's lanky. Um, <laughs> that's so weird. But also Love at the that. time, I was like taking an ancient Egyptian art class, so I was there I was probably is. really thinking about yeah. Akhenaten and Middle Kingdom. But Ronnie's yeah, an no. art history major, by that's the way. We're yeah. all artsy. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember my um dream, my Lexapro dreams, my Prozac dreams, which are the ones Correct. now are, are, don't make any sense. They're just like me going to the store and like yeah. being like this cash register doesn't work correctly. So they're not anything like too too crazy. Right. Yeah. It's like I think one of my most recent ones was I was living in some place and it was a place that I used to live in, the, the frat house. I used to live in that frat house too. <laughs> right. And in the dream, we got in trouble because we moved a bed. And that was the entire dream. And then I was like, <laughs> and that's the dream. <laughs> that sounds like something that would have happened in that house too. For for some right. For some backstory, everybody. Ronnie and I both lived in the same frat house, but at different times. Mm -hmm. But Phi Cap, what's good? The Brick Palace. <laughs> um, the dude just came in and said, like, you weren't supposed to move anything. It says it right here in the lease. And it's like, but... Like, they're so mundane. Like, that would have... I, like, I, I can picture that happening in that it house. It really That's sounded so like funny. there was more to your dream. Like, and they told me I couldn't move the bed. <laughs> but there was... And that's it. That was that's it. it. The dude, like, walked on the hall and I was like, but it's... We didn't even move it that much. And he's like, eh. Honestly, living in that house was a fever dream for me. So I haven't had lemon lime Gatorade oh. since, but not going to talk about that. That's weird. I wonder, I probably have to like, would have to like fall down a rabbit hole and do some research. Cause like, I'm always curious about why, like, okay, they're all SSRIs, but why do like some of them give you like weird fucking mm -hmm. acid dreams and some of them yeah, don't? My, my uh, psychiatrist had told me 10% of people on Lexapro have crazy like have reported crazy dreams so i guess it's not even the majority of people who are on it i think like the connection that i made to it before was like oh well like sometimes when you take like melatonin mm -hmm. you have weird dreams so maybe it's because melatonin also increases your serotonin but there has to be more to it i don't know i had to take melatonin when i started lexapro because i couldn't fall asleep when i first started it that was one of my side effects yeah ronnie didn't you say that lexapro made you wired yeah my um my fun little home Adderall recipe is Lexapro and coffee. Oh and I did that. I had like two <laughs> cups of coffee. It wasn't even like an obscene amount for me, but this was just like a day that I had taken my medication early enough and I was up for 36 hours. Wow. Yeah, it made me pretty wired at first too, but it's supposed to go away. Like I, I think after yeah. a couple of weeks, it's supposed to go away. I mean, it did for me at least. I can't drink caffeine, so yeah. like props to you guys. <laughs> caffeine just like triggers my anxiety all over again, so I try to stay away. Yeah, I'm. I could sleep for eighteen wow. hours. My problem is that I sleep too much. Like I'm too good at sleeping, and I'm never awake when I need to be. Sometimes, like I won't text people back for three days, and three days later, I'm like, hey, I was asleep, and like. We've all seen the meme of like, oh, this person texts you back three months later and they're like, sorry, I was in the shower. But it's like, for me, like, that's real. Like, like if I text you back three days later and I say that I was sleeping, like, I, I'm being yeah. for real, I probably was. You also did an IG video about boundary charts and Ronnie and I looked up what a boundary chart was and we looked at the worksheet and we're like, oh, this is a lot of work. We're going <laughs> to shelve that for later. I did mine. Oh, cool. mine is done. Oh my god, that makes <laughs> me so happy. Yeah, so I guess for the people listening, like what 
is a boundary chart, what was like the process and how did it help you? Because I think Ronnie and I want to make some, well, Ronnie already did his and then like do an episode about it. So yeah, y'all should talk through yours for an episode. That'd be a good episode. Basically, so I made an IGTV about this for the people listening. If you want to go watch it, it's 10 minutes long. Um, And it really didn't take me that long to complete. It maybe took me 30 minutes max. Mm -hmm. And so if you want more detail, go watch the video. But basically, I and I, I was kind of hesitant about doing anything about relationships because, like, I'm the last person to ask for advice in that area. Us too, but we've done two episodes on it, so. Yeah, which is, like, precisely why I made the boundary, had to make the boundary sheet. So basically, my therapist had me make this sheet as part of my therapy homework, and, like, shout out to her. The boundary sheet was not my idea. She gave it to me and she's awesome. She's my new therapist. I started in October and I'm obsessed with her. I have a record of kind of ignoring red flags in relationships or just like letting things fly that like I shouldn't, which I guess is the same thing, but Mm -hmm. just like little things here and there where you're like, oh, I can look past that, like giving them a chance anyways. I'm just like too nice about that kind of stuff. And so she had me make this boundaries chart, which is basically like a funnel You can make it a funnel shape or a circle shape, but for the listeners to visualize it. um, So the first layer is like things that you would like to have in a relationship, but you don't need to have like, oh, I'd prefer if my boyfriend could cook or whatever. It's like you would not dump someone over not being able to cook if you're a reasonable human being. So that's like kind of stuff you can pass over if you need to. And then the middle section is things that you really need to consider before you are to move to a deeper intimacy level with that person. So the example I gave in the video, like if you care about having politics in common with a person, you probably want to talk about that sooner rather than later because you don't want to like show your most vulnerable self to you and then find out that they like voted for someone you can't stand and can't see past yeah I've I've done that (laughs) right it's not it's like a rude awakening when that happens you find out too late and you just feel real bad about yeah and you're like oh man (laughs) why did I do that I've been there too so um the middle section's kind of for filtering out those people it's like a filter so you're wanting to filter out anyone like if you want someone with good humor like you don't want to like realize three months in which hopefully you'd realize earlier that if someone has a good sense of humor but People are good at lying. Right, yeah. exactly. And so you just don't, like, there's certain things that you don't want to find out when it, before it's too late. Yeah. So that's the middle layer. And then the final layer is things that you learn about someone as you get to know them. They're more intimate, detailed, and it's kind of a way of narrowing down the right person, if that makes sense. Um, it's a way to check, like a checklist, like, okay, does this person, like, meet these needs that I want? And what needs can I do I like can I write off and not need if this person can't meet them the thing is is it was really nice to write these things down for me and also in tandem with that so I went over that with my therapist and then we made a to-do list or not a to-do list a hard no list so basically as I was mm-hmm. going through these things I would like talk I talked through each individual thing with her and then she's like well the would that be like a hard no for you? So for me, a big one for me is I have asthma. I can't live with a smoker. So I can't just like ignore that red, like that thing for me because that can affect my health. So it's on a hard no list and hard no's aren't really like deal breakers, but they're things that can cause issues in the long term that you want to keep in the back of your mind. 
So it was really nice to just have it written down and have that as a resource. I haven't been able to, I'm not dating right now. I don't really know how to do that when there's a pandemic. Nobody's dating (laughs) right now, um, so it's fine. Yeah, so I will see how that goes, but um, I'm glad I have it in my back pocket to refer to. Yeah, I feel like it could be helpful in like any relationship too, not just like romantic relationships. I mean, when Ronnie and I talked about love languages, like, a lot of that does, like, transfer over to, like, your platonic Mm -hmm. friendships. Like, um, like, I need to be validated. Ronnie wants a hug. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hug anyone. (laughs) I don't want to hug my friends, but I'll hug the person I'm dating. So, like, it can be, like, a different, like, a different love language for each category, too. That's exactly what I said. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But I think, like, a lot of it is just, like, your Mm self-esteem, too. And, like, you almost feel, like, guilty to be, like, oh, this is a hard no, right? But it's, like, well, but you deserve that. Mm -hmm. You deserve somebody to where that's not, like, a thing, right? And that goes for friendships, too. So Ronnie and I are going to do that. Well, Ronnie already did. I'm going to get around to it, and then we'll eventually talk about them. Yeah. The thing that helped me, or at least for both of us, we felt that, that we like, at least for me, at first I was like, I have no boundaries. Then I read through the list, and then I was like, oh, I have so many boundaries. And then when I ended up, like, actually writing it down, I was like, okay, I have a good amount of boundaries here. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was really good to be like introspective and think about what, like what, you know, what, what are like my heart knows and what are things that it's like, okay, that doesn't matter to me to things that it's like, no, this is super important. Yeah. So this is a really fun experience mm-hmm. and like really eye-opening thing to Definitely. do. Okay, I'll fucking do it. <laughs> I'll do it. Just <laughs> uh, I'm just going to put it off for another week or two. Um, yeah, like you don't realize what your boundaries are until they come up. So like you kind of just have to get that out of the way. Again, it's all a practice and self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And like until you like, I mean, I've been thinking recently that I need more like structured activities to do. Part of that is that like it forces you to like really think about yourself and like you know and you have to like be honest with yourself and be like but but do you mean Mm -hmm. it you know and like yeah yeah I think like there I mean there are so many of those like worksheets that like therapists give to their patients that you can find pdfs Mm -hmm. on them online if you're not currently seeking a therapist and then like what Ronnie and I are gonna do is we're just gonna talk to each (laughs) other about it Um, yeah I know that on Amazon there are like CBT like cognitive behavioral therapy books that you can get and fill out as well that are helpful yeah and you actually as a final question too uh since you love self-help uh what are what are some like i don't know a few of your top self-help books okay a really good self-help book for people with panic disorder or ocd i mean it can work for any kind of mental illness but it's like it kind of gears towards those is and i have it on my bookshelf i'm trying to read it it's called Stopping the Noise in Your Head. And I think it's by a Dr. Reed Wilson. I can't see the text super far, but um, so actually I meant to mention this earlier. So my psychiatrist had recommended I go see a panic control therapist when I was having my panic attacks. And basically they're like an expo it's like exposure therapy mixed with CBT, where you re- basically reenact a panic attack <laughs> in a safe space and kind of talk yourself okay. through it. I ended up not going through with it just because once my medicine kicked in, I didn't feel like I could even reenact panic attack because I just felt so much better. But the panic control therapist recommended this book. So if you have panic or OCD, um, especially, um, or deal with like any sorts of bad intrusive thoughts, like that's a really good book. And then as far as like general self-help, 
I love You're a Badass, like I mentioned. It kind of, I mean, it talks mm-hmm. about like manifesting and stuff, which I know some people are like, think that's ES, which I'm like, I, I like set my belief in it. So it's a good one. I grew up in New Age, so yeah. I'm very familiar with it. And You're all about the secret. Yeah, I mean, I don't really like, I'm not really that into it now, which is why I like, which is why I kind of like make fun mm-hmm. of it a lot. But, but, uh, caveat is that like, some of that stuff, like, even if it's not, like, it's still good to, I don't know. I I think, like, thinking that way is, like, helpful, even if it's not right. real. Because, yeah. And exactly. And I think it can be reframed. It's, like, manifesting, like, asking the... It's just goal setting. Yeah, exactly. And, like, asking the universe yeah. for something. Like, a Christian would just call that praying. So, mm-hmm. it's it just, like, people just call it different things in different cultures, you know? So... Yeah, just kind of, like, it's just kind of tailor it to whatever you're, like thought is whatever your particular brand of of whatever is um so yeah that's a really good one and then I guess the last one I'll recommend which you guys could also do a episode on is ooh, I love getting ideas a book called attached and it's about the attachment styles um in relationships I don't know if you guys are familiar there's four different kinds and that book is yeah. like so eye-opening. I read that and I was like, I don't even think I knew what like a healthy relationship was before I read that book. Yeah, I probably don't. So <laughs> so that's a really good one too. And it's by two um, doctors. Um, I, I don't remember their names. I'm sorry. And I'm staring at it from across my room. But the, <laughs> it's okay. I will yeah. Google them and maybe ask you later if I can't find the The cover right of it is two magnets and a heart shape. So Okay, cool. That's easy yeah, to remember. Yeah, so those are all really good. I will look mm-hmm. these up. Yeah, I made a I made a post about that one, and I think I think people really like learning about attachment styles. It's kind of similar to your love languages, as like how you operate in a relationship. Yeah. So yeah, I think all of that stuff is like really helpful. And like I think we said in the love languages episode, hey man, you're at home, you have some free time. It couldn't hurt to like take a love languages quiz mm-hmm. or like whatever or like do your Myers-Briggs yeah. if that's your thing just to like it's it's an activity that like forces you to think about yourself and like and we encourage uh self-awareness in in every self-awareness facet. is so cool honestly <laughs> yeah self-awareness yeah. is it man but yeah I will link all of those book recommendations uh in the show notes for everybody if you want to go look at them and then of course, Christine always posts about this stuff on her Instagram, which again is Better Self, Better World. And thanks for thanks for talking to us for, oh my God, two hours and eight minutes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good luck editing all this. Thanks for listening to the Pretty Girl Pill Club this week. As always, you will be able to find the links to everything we mentioned and the full episode notes on our website, which is pgpcpod.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Pretty Girl Pill Club and Twitter at pgpcpod. Thanks again to Christina for coming on the show this week. You can follow her on Instagram at Better Self, Better World. And if you're interested in checking out any of the books or apps that she recommended in this episode, all of the links are going to be in the show notes on our website, which once again is pgpcpod.com. And with all that said, this has been the Pretty Girl Pill Club. Thanks for listening. Take your meds, drink some water, and we'll talk to you later. Bye!